Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. All right, so today we are going to be jumping into Colossians 4 and finishing out our series on Colossians and being rooted in Christ. Um, I'm super excited for this. I really think this is the heart of what we've been talking about the last seven weeks um, and just really what Paul wanted to tell the Church of Colossae. So I'm super excited for it. Before we jump in, um, I just have a quick story about it and then we'll hop in. Um, So I have a friend from college and this weekend today, she's actually running a marathon, which is mind blowing that anyone would wanna wake up and run 23 miles. If you do it, I give you guys so much cred. You're a marathon runner? Oh my goodness, congrats. I would never be able to, crazy. Um, But um, while we were talking about it, one of the things that came up is like, what is a marathon? And it's torture. It's 23 miles that you run straight. Um, And kind of the history behind what a marathon is, is from the story of, I'm going to probably botch his name, Pheidippides, right? Yeah, okay. We were practicing names because this this passage has a lot of hard names in it. Um, so Pheidippides, and basically what happened is he was running um, to announce that the Greeks had won the war. There's a picture of Pheidippides running, just so you guys can have that mental picture. And he ran 25 miles. It's actually believed that he ran much more than that. It was like 150 miles. If anyone knows their history, they can fact check me. But that he had run to also tell Spartans to stop um, and get soldiers to announce the victory as well. And as he ran this, he ran with such an urgency because he had this great message that he wanted to tell people. And this was people during the time that they sent them ahead to announce the victory of what had happened. And that he had gone to tell this city that we had won, that the Greeks had won. Um, And I just love that story because I feel like that is the heart of the gospel in some ways. Um, How we have this urgent message that the gospel of Jesus is such an urgent message. And it's a message that announces victory. And that's what we're going to be diving in today is the gospel as an urgent message that is the one of victory. And what Paul has to say about that. So if you guys want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians 4 verse 2. All right, as I said, there's a lot of hard names, so bear with me if I mess them up. Devote yourselves with prayer, with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Tychicus will give you a full report of how how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know that we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were introduced before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. 
Jesus, the one called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They are working with me here through the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I assure you that you're that you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha at the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too, and you should hear the letter that I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. All right. I spent much time yesterday trying to figure out these names because it is really hard. Oh, my goodness. Thanks, Andrew, for that passage. <laughs> All right. So as we jump in, before we talk about what uh, Paul is trying to convene, we're just going to give a little background information so we can know what's going on. As we've talked about, the Church of Colossae is in a small town, kind of like West Milford, as we talked about, kind of in the middle of nowhere, but there's great things happening within this church. There's revival that's gone out. Many people have come to Christ through this, um, and the church just kept going and going, and Paul is writing this letter from prison to encourage people and say, hey, keep going in your faith. Though people are attacking you, I don't want you to give up, and I want you to continue to persevere. Now, the interesting thing is we haven't really talked about Paul and where Paul is coming from. So we're just going to kind of focus on that for a couple minutes. Paul was most likely in prison in Rome. And prison was a little different 2,000 years ago than what it is today, as it probably would be if it's been 2,000 years. Um, what prison was was actually a holding ground. So it wasn't a, a punishment per se. It wasn't like you were sentenced to 20 years of prison because you had done something awful. Um, you were in prison until you got a trial or until you were executed. And most of the times when you were put in prison, you didn't know if you were going to be executed or in trial. So I want us just to take a minute and put ourselves in Paul's shoes. That during this time, he's waiting. It's been, they said, probably two to three years. We don't know exactly when this letter was written, but we do know it was written during that time. This was also his first imprisonment, so he hadn't experienced what it was like to be in prison before. He just knew that he was thrown in for false teachings. Um, he was thrown in because of his teachings in Rome um, when he had talked about that there's no other idols besides God and that Jesus is the true God that you should worship, which Rome did not agree with. As you know, throughout history, Rome had a lot of God and goddesses, um, and they felt like he deserved to be sentenced to death because of this. So they threw him in prison, and he was there writing this letter of encouragement to the Church of Colossae, um, and he was alone in this prison. So as we kind of picture that in mind, we have to realize, too, that there's other people in Scripture that had this happen, and that God moved tremendously through prison experiments, um, experiences. One of them is Joseph. 
If you guys remember the story of Joseph, he was in prison for two years because he was accused of something that he didn't do. Prison wasn't his punishment. Prison was actually the holding ground because he probably was going to be executed. But God spared his life and gave him visions during that time that not only encouraged him, but spoke truth about the gospel to people outside of prison. And that's exactly what's happening to Paul, that Christ is speaking to Paul in these moments that he's in prison, that he's alone and in darkness, that is encouraging other people outside of the church. So, as we talk about that, one of the things that just blows my mind and I think is crazy is that Paul is there waiting, not knowing if he's going to die or if he's going to get a fair trial and be freed. And yet the message that he wants people to know in his last words to the Church of Colossae, which for all he know could ever be his last words to people outside of prison, is that I want you to continue persevering and sharing the gospel message. That I need you to pray But I don't need you to pray for my circumstance. I need you to pray that the gospel message would be furthered and that people would come to Christ. And what does that look like to be missional? And that's his charge. That he's commissioning believers. Though I am in chains, he says, I am sending you out to go continue the work and further what is happening. And for me, that was a huge wake-up call. What would we say if our last words were in prison and we had a letter that we could write to people? And if we ask them to pray for us, I don't think my last words would be, go continue the call. (laughs) Go tell people about Jesus. Honestly, Paul had so many people's eyes on him, and so much was happening in the church of Colossae. Like, whatever this church prayed was just happening. He could have asked, like, get me freed from here, and in his mind, it probably would have happened right then, and it most likely could have because of the power of Christ and what was happening in this church. But he decided to not do that and just say, listen, the most important thing I could do is send you out to believe in the power of Jesus and go and share the gospel. So today we're going to go over three points of things that he sends us out to do. Um, The first one is prayer. Prayer is the primary work. So I'm just going to read those verses again. Got to find it first. All right, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as as clearly as I should. So here, Paul is saying, I'm in chains, but I want you to continue to pray that God would give us many opportunities. So there's three things that we learn about prayer in this passage. First is what it means to be a persistent prayer and that we are called to be people that are persistent prayers. Um, This is one of the biggest messages that Christ teaches about prayer in scripture. We read in the parable of Luke 11, Um, 5 through 10 about the parable of a friend at midnight. And this friend goes to their friend's house and is knocking on the door and then takes a break and then keeps knocking and takes a break and keeps knocking and is so perseverant that he just wants his friend to hear. The moment his friend opens the door, the friend gives him what he asked for because of his persistence in continuing to knock. And that story shows us the heart of God, that Christ wants us to reach out to him and he wants us to pray and when we are persistent in our prayer life and we continue to seek him that he desires to answer us that's a huge thing that I think isn't taught a lot 
that God desires to answer us and desires to be in our lives. A lot of times we feel like we're just praying to a God that doesn't hear us and that we just continue to wail on. It's like, okay, I've been asking for this for years and years. Why isn't it being answered? But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that he answers our prayers. And in that, he says, I want you to pray bold prayers. I want you to pray unashamed and know that I want to answer you and that I hear you and I see you. And when you call out to me, I will answer you. Might not be the way that we want, but he does promise to answer us in scripture. So from this, we see how Paul shows what a bold prayer is and how we're supposed to pray these bold prayers. The next thing is that he kind of talks about the idea of a focus prayer. So what is a focus prayer? What does it mean to be devoted? When we think of prayer, the one thing that we kind of take away from this is the idea that um, our prayers, we're supposed to align with what Christ wants in our life. And I think that's a lot of times where we miss the mark on prayer, is that we're praying for things that are good, but we're not praying towards the heart of God and what God wants in our heart. And they could be very similar things at times. But here Paul is saying, I don't want you to just pray prayers of whatever you're thinking. I don't want you to just pray this, but I want you to pray that the heart of Christ would be revealed. That you would be able to see what Christ is doing and that what he desires would happen here. And I really believe that's what God wants us to do, is that we would pray the prayer of Christ. I want your heart to be revealed, the love of you to be revealed in my life so that I would desire the things of you, that I would have eyes around me that see you in everything, that I have new eyes to see what's going on. And I think as we see this too, we kind of just see more about Paul. Paul prayed a very focused prayer. As I said before, he didn't pray that Christ would set him free. I mean, he probably prayed that outside of this letter, as anyone would. But in this letter, he's very focused in, this is what I desire, that Christ would be revealed to people and that they would see him. And through that focused prayer, we see how much is answered in Paul's life. That the moment he started praying, Christ, I want your heart to be revealed, he was released from prison. He was never harmed in prison. People came to Christ, and these cities broke out. The gospel broke out um, during this time. There was all these churches that had been established, and hundreds and hundreds of people that just came to Christ. And that's the power of a focused prayer, that when we pray that Christ would give us eyes for him, that everything starts to come into alignment because we have an alertness for the Holy Spirit and what is going. We have an alertness for what he's doing and have eyes to look for Christ. And when we walk towards Christ, things come into alignment. And the last thing we read about is a thankful prayer. And he says, Pray that I would proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And he goes on to say that I thank you, God, that he thanks God in his brokenness and says, thank you for everything that you are doing. There is always a reason to be thankful. I'm not the best at being thankful and always saying thank you. Pedro is much better at I am. He's getting there. I've trained him in some ways too. But I think it's so important to say thank you. Uh, we talked about what it means to be a leader a couple weeks ago at a training I went to. And they said there's two most important things that a leader does. The number one thing that a leader does is that they say thank you. 
If you don't say thank you as a leader, people normally don't want to work for you or don't want to listen to you because why would you want to listen to someone that's not thankful or that they don't recognize what's going on? So that's super important is to be thankful. And when we're thankful to Christ and we say thank you for all you're doing, we're recognizing that God is on the move and that he's moving. It might not be the way that we want, but we're still saying thank you, Jesus, for this life. Thank you for what you are doing. All right, the next point is live missionally. So I'll read these verses again, five through six, if you guys want to open that up again. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. If you want me to be honest, living missionally has been such a hard topic for me and not something that's easily accepted. For those of you that know, my husband and I are on track to go overseas with the Christian Missionary Alliance, Um, and I had everything figured out from the age of 14 of what my life would look like. I worked from 14 to pay for college um, so that I would graduate college debt-free and that I could move overseas as quickly as possible. My thought was if I graduated May 10th, I was moving May 11th with packed bags and that everything would be set. That didn't happen. I married Pedro. We got married. Great things. But my plan did not work out as well. And when that plan, I started to realize at the end of college wasn't going to work, I had like two separate ideas of what would happen. Okay, so I'm going to graduate, and if I don't go overseas, I'm going to open up this great business in the city and employ refugees and see the nations in the U.S. come to Jesus, and it's going to be awesome. That never happened. Um never happened. I wish it would. That'd be really cool. And then I was like, okay, if I'm not doing that, I'm at least going to be working with the least of these, the unreached, and I'm going to be working for a nonprofit and doing all these great things. That didn't happen either. So all my backup plans kind of fell through. Um, And I remember praying in my dorm room one day, and I was like, I should probably figure out a job post-college and apply to something, because that's normally what you do. Um, I wasn't moving overseas, so I was like, I guess I got to figure out something. And I remember praying um, with Tyler and Amanda Stant, if you guys know them, and just kind of coming to the conclusion of, like, you should apply to Starbucks. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I have these great plans to move overseas. You're going to go tell me to work at a coffee shop. Like, I felt like that was such an insult to me. And I was like, do not understand what I want to do. Um, And I remember having a dream while in college in my dorm room and hearing Christ say something that I just thought was so stupid at the time. And he was like, I want you to make lattes anointed with the Holy Spirit. And I was like, what the heck? Like, what does that mean? Um, And I remember just like, Pedro probably knows how many days I complained about working there and how much I hated it. I was like, this is not what I wanted. Like, I felt like I was created for so much more and to do so much more. But I was stuck working a job that I hated. And through that, I think I learned more of what it meant that God is a missional God than I could have learned by moving overseas right after college. And through that opportunity, I learned that everything that we do is a gospel moment that we can share the gospel with a person. And it doesn't mean that you're in ministry and that you're sharing the gospel with people if you packed up your bags the day you moved out of college and moved overseas. It doesn't mean like if you're at full time at a church that you're doing ministry, but that ministry is a lifestyle and that sharing the gospel is a lifestyle that we have. 
This morning we were praying, and I love what John said. John had talked about there's a window broken, I think over here, somewhere, right over there. Um, And he had said, isn't it great? John does like, I don't even know what you do, man. I probably should know. We're like friends. You like do some kind of construction stuff, but he's like the handiest man I know. Um, And he can fix anything. And he was just saying how awesome it is that like our day jobs allow us to serve others and share the gospel in different ways, which I thought was the coolest thing because that is totally what I think the heart of God is and what this passage is revealing and kind of the whole experience of what working at Starbucks was for me, that Christ gives us day jobs, that he gives us different assignments so that we have a unique lens that we can share the gospel with others. You are placed in your circumstance, in your job, in the lives of people because you can share the gospel with those people best and you have an understanding of the gospel in such a different way than anyone else. That as a teacher, you have such access to the lives of high schoolers, middle schoolers, and elementary schoolers that you are like a second parent to them, that you can share the love of Jesus every single day. That when you do things like showing up to people's house doing construction and fixing windows or whatever you do, (laughs) that you have the opportunity to say and be the hands and feet of Jesus and serve people. And through those, have gospel conversations. And that's exactly what it means to live missionally. It doesn't mean that we go out and just do evangelism on the street, but that we begin to have the uh, mindset that every moment is a moment that we can either tear people away from Christ or point people and push them towards Christ. I read this fact and I watched this mid video and it said, within the first five minutes of meeting a person, you should know everything that they believe because of the way they act. Um, And that is such a Um, eye-opener, like, oh my goodness, people are constantly watching you. And I think that's something that I've constantly been learning is if people are constantly searching and seeking and every moment is a gospel opportunity, how you hold yourself and how you present yourself shares the gospel more than your words do. Words don't mean a lot. Like, they do mean a lot, but your actions speak louder than your words. They say, like, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, whatever that thing says. My dad always says it with the gospel. Um, But, like, through that, we learn, like, your actions are so important, and how you represent Christ through the way that you talk to people at your work, through the way that you talk to your kids in public, through the way that you just live in relationship with those around you shows how you love Christ. So as we talk about being missional, there's a couple of things we want to know. First, Paul tells us that we're supposed to talk with grace, that we're supposed to live a life of grace and have eyes of grace towards people, that the gospel is something so attractive. And I think that's a lie that we believe, that the gospel actually isn't attractive. We think we somehow have to make Christ like this beautiful thing and we have to kind of be like oh and he can heal and he can do this and he can do that and like give him all your worries because of this and that and we say all these things to make the gospel sound more attractive but the truth is the gospel is attractive enough on itself to bring someone to Christ you don't have to add anything to the message of the gospel you don't have to take anything away I think we're really scared to offend people because the gospel in some ways is offensive to a lot of people but that's 
the beauty of the gospel is that it's truth. And that deep down, everyone's searching for different things. And at the core of us, there's different things that we all desire and want. And the gospel itself is enough to answer the hard questions in life that we don't have to try to put a spin on it. Um, we did this study. I work for Young Life, which works with non, um, with kids of different ages. So we have like a ministry that works with kids with special needs, with kids that work with teen moms and high schoolers and middle schoolers. And we just asked them deep down, like, what are you searching after in life? And we said, I, we just want you to be honest. Like, what are you searching after? And they would say like, oh, I'm searching for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or I want a car, all these things. And we're like, no, what are you actually searching for? Like, tell us. And deep down, the things that came out was, I want to be loved. I have a desire to be loved. I have a desire to be seen. I have a desire to be heard by people. And that's the gospel message that we don't even have to say, like, this is Jesus and this is what he did for you. But we can say in that moment that there's a guy, his name is Jesus, he is the Savior, and he loves you and he sees you and he hears you. The gospel message is enough to answer those deep questions that we're all wondering. When we feel lonely, the gospel isn't close enough message that we can say there's hope. I know where there's hope. We don't have to put a spin on the gospel message. So when we talk with grace, what we're doing is we're shedding light to who Christ is and sharing that and not trying to make it more attractive because it's attractive enough on itself. The next thing is speaking with wisdom. John Piper wrote this thing that the Christian life should be the most appetizing, not whatever I said before, appetizing thing for a person. That when you look at a Christian, it's something that everyone should desire. And if someone looks at a Christian and says, I don't want that, we're doing something wrong. Because Christ changes us. And when we walk in our calling as a child of Christ, we are walking with hope. We are walking with peace because these are things that he offers. He offers us love. He offers us security. He offers us to be known. And when we walk in that, it is the most attractive and appetizing thing to a person. And Paul, in this passage, says that he wants us to stay salty, that he wants us to live in that saltiness and be appetizing so that when people look at us, we don't have to share the gospel message, that they can look at us and see the love of Christ. The next thing is to be appropriate. And what he means through that is just kind of understand your circumstance of how you're sharing the gospel and share it in a way that people can understand. And if that means just showing up and being the love of Christ and not sharing the gospel with words but your actions, that's what we are called to do in different circumstances. A.B. Simpson, great dude, he founded this, um, what's it called? Alliance? denomination. There we go. Dude, words are not working today. Um, He founded this denomination, and he said one of the greatest quotes about who God wants. He says, God doesn't want great people, but he wants people who are willing to point to the greatness of God. That what qualifies a person and what allows them to share it is not because they're great, that they know how to share the gospel, but he just wants anyone that's willing to point to who he is that you don't even have to have it put together. You don't, you're, we're all on our own journey, and we're all trying to figure things out, and we're all going through our own struggles. And Christ in this moment is saying, I don't want you to have it figured out. I just want you to be willing to point people to someone that has everything. I want you to be able to point to the one that is perfect. So we're going to continue on to our last thing. 
Um, the last thing is to be all called to be faithful servants. I'm not going to try to read those verses again because there's a lot of them and they're long. Um, but through these verses, I love this list. And um, I, was, I studied Bible in college too. And I remember it being like awful having to memorize different names and like chronology and being like, what the heck is this? Like When you would read the Gospels, you just sketch the first um, chapter and it would be like, okay, let's continue on. But through the list of names in scripture, we see so much about the heart of Christ. And Paul in this is sharing so much about what it means to be called to be on mission. Um, so I'm just going to read off some things that, about the people in this list. So well, there's different people. The first one is we have the devoted people that followed Christ. Tychicus, hopefully that's how you say it, um, is the first person that's listed. And all he's known as um, is being faithful and reliable. He never actually shared the gospel with people, but he was faithful to the mission of God. He showed up every time something was going on with the gospel, and he was reliable to his friends. He was there in their life, and when they needed something, he showed up. And Tychicus, even though he didn't bring hundreds of people to Christ, is still known by Paul as being one of these great evangelists because of how he lived his life. So through this, we see that you don't have to have lofty words. You don't have to know even how to share the gospel, but that devoted people to the cause of Christ is so important. And it's almost as equally, it is as equally as important as those that are actually going out and evangelizing and sharing the gospel. The next one, which I love the story of, is Mark. Um, Mark and Paul actually had a huge fight a while ago when they were doing their missionary journeys. And what happened is Paul decided at a certain point, I don't think we should take Mark with us when he said to Barnabas and said we should let him leave this missionary because whatever is happening in the fight and the quarrel that was happening was not allowing the gospel to move. And through this, we see someone that walked away from the mission and the call of Christ, that they gave up on Christ and what was happening and decided that they needed to go back. And I think this is so many of us, and there's so many people that are this. And the greatest thing about this is that Christ says that we are never allowed to discredit someone from sharing the gospel. It's not our job to say that this person isn't qualified because Christ calls all. That it's not our job to say, this person fits this role because they have it all together. But that Christ wants you for who you are. Doesn't matter if you've walked away from Christ. Doesn't matter if you want nothing to do with Christ. Christ wants you. And he wants you to be a part of his family and his mission. And he's not saying that I need you to have it together. Failure is not final in the eyes of God because of the grace of God. The grace of God covers everything and far more covers our issues and our circumstances and our sin. So for those of you that feel like you have walked away from Christ or that you have turned your back on him, I want you to know that Christ still wants you and he is going after you as much as he is going after every single person in the world. That he desires you to be a part of his family and his mission more than anything. No one is considered a lost cause in the eyes of Christ. You are never far, too far away from Jesus that he would stop loving you. Doesn't matter what you do, but the love of Christ still covers all. Next in the list, we see a huge list of people, um, and they're called hidden servants. 
And the reason they're called headed servants is because it's kind of like John talked about before. is these people that worked other jobs and did other things, but they all had these great skills um, that might, when we look at it, we're like, really? They're put on that list of Paul's great um, evangelists? But we see how important they are to the call. The first one is Aristarchus, and all he was known as committed. That's the only thing Paul said about him is that he was committed to the cause of Christ. We don't know if he actually did anything, but we know he was committed and that that was super important. Um, The next is Justice, and he was a faithful kingdom worker. He wasn't in ministry, but he saw it really important in his life to constantly share the gospel. Next, we see Epaphras, and we know that Epaphras lived a life of prayer, that he was constantly interceding for people. Epaphras didn't go out and pray for people, but he was known as going into his household and constantly praying for people and asking that the Christ would go out and save people, that the gospel message would be furthered. So he's listed as this great person for praying on his own about the gospel being furthered. He didn't have to go out and share the gospel or go out and pray for people and is still listed as one of these great believers. Next, we have Luke and Demas, and they're known for loyalty. They were just great friends to people. (laughs) They just showed up at people's houses. They invited people over and just constantly loved hosting people and showing the love of Christ, which is actually a gospel um, quality that Christ gives us. He gives us the gift of loyalty and the gift of hosting because that's what Christ did and he modeled, that it's important to be loyal to people and host people because that's how you share the gospel. When you open your house to people, you are opening the door to who Jesus is and allowing people an intimate look in your life. Next, we see Nympha, who did the same thing. She was just hospitable. She allowed people to stay at her house. If someone needed a place to have church that week, she allowed it to happen at her church, and she just showed up. She didn't have a lot of money, but she gave what she had, and that was enough for Paul to recognize her as important. We have Archippus, who was known as persevering, that he continued to just go and take the further step to allow the gospel to be advanced. So what does this big list of people mean? (laughs) Um, As we look at it, I think one of the most important things, first of all, is from the message of the passage, the only person that was in ministry in that list was Paul. And Paul actually wasn't acting in his ministry role because he was in prison. Um, So what we learn is that You don't have to be in ministry to further the gospel. You don't have to be in ministry to share the gospel, that we are all called to share the gospel no matter what you do. And what it is is a mindset. It's a mindset that every moment is a gospel opportunity to share the gospel. So while I was at Starbucks, just a side note, um, I decided that for the year and a half or however long I was going to be there, that I was not allowed to leave or clock out of my shift and share. I had shared the gospel message with a new person that day. And it gave me this mindset and great practice of what does it look like to practically share the gospel message when you have two minutes with a customer or that you're running around with people that you work with. And it was super challenging in some ways because all eyes are on you. When you say that you love Jesus, people are like are hawk eyes on you like, oh my goodness, what is she doing? How is she talking? What is she saying? Um, but it allowed me to see that every moment is a moment that we either push towards Jesus or we're pushing away. And also through this, as we continue to see Um, The list that Paul gave us was super diverse. It was full of men and women. It was full of Jew and Gentiles. It was full of people that had walked away from Christ that didn't want anything to do with Christ. But God desires you. 
God desires you to be a part of his mission. No matter who you are, what you've done, what you think, God still wants you and he still calls you to the mission of Christ. Nothing disqualifies you from the love of God. It only qualifies you. Christ qualifies you to the mission of God and nothing can take away from that. So the question we're left with, well, what is your role in the furtherment of the gospel of Christ? And how do you play a role in it? Now, why is this so important? Back to the beginning, because that wasn't just a random marathon story. Um, Why is the gospel message so urgent? Paul wrote this letter because when we remember the story of Jesus, when Jesus ascended, People were very concerned. They wanted to live with Christ. We're created to meet with Christ. That's what Genesis said, that God walked the garden with Adam and Eve, that we are created to be in unity with the Father. And when he left, he said that he would come back soon. And that was kind of a trick answer to people at the time because it wasn't very soon. (laughs) We're still waiting on him to come back. It's been like 2,000 years. So Jesus got a sense of humor in that moment. Um, But as we look at it, we realize that uh, as Paul is saying, in our life as Christians, our goal as Christians is to bring Jesus back. We want Jesus to be back and completely. When the world ends, we read in Revelations that the enemy is completely sent to the pits of hell and that the world is cleansed and that a new heaven and a new earth is made. And that's what we desire as Christians, that the world would see Jesus again and that we would be reunited with the Father, that nothing could stop us from living within community with Christ. So as we read the book of Revelations, there's a few things that we learn. The first is the return of Christ is imminent. I mean, it's a fancy word for saying that it's happening and nothing can stop it from happening. Christ is coming back no matter what. It's a promise that we're given from Christ that he's coming back. The only, there's very few things that we actually can understand, or maybe just me, because the book of Revelations is very confusing. But in it, we read Revelation 7, 9, and it says that the end of times will come, which is when Christ will come back, after every nation, every tribe, and every tongue professes that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And that's why the gospel message is so urgent, is because we want Christ to come back. Our heart is that the Father would once again be, we could be reunited with the Father and live in community. But that can't happen, and Christ gives us a very tangible thing. Well, how do we get to that? Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue must first know that Christ is Savior and have heard it. So I did a little research on how far away we are from this. Um, And where we are now, there's still 7,398 unreached people groups in this world, which makes up 42.5% of the people groups in the world. Now, we look at that and we're like, that might just be the Middle East. Like, that's crazy. But when we look at the population of the world, so 7.98 billion people, 41.8% of people have never actually heard the full gospel message. So we put that into our life, and we realize that about half of the people in our life that we come in contact with have never heard the gospel message actually, and that that is so heartbreaking to me, um, that they have never heard the gospel message, that nobody's actually taken the time to show the love of Christ to them and share who Christ is. 
And that for me and for us as believers, that's what our heart is. That's what Paul's heart is, is in this passage. That people would understand who Christ is and that they would just have an opportunity to hear that. So I took, um, as I said, with Young Life, we went to this thing and we talked about leadership. And one of the things and facts that we learned about discipleship and bringing the end of times is if every night we as a church, say the plant church hosted a huge uh, evangelism event and a thousand people every night came to Christ. So tonight there was a thousand people that came to Christ. And then tomorrow there's a thousand people that came to Christ. It would take well over 300 years before everyone heard the gospel not came to Christ, but heard the gospel. I think it's like 363 years before everyone would hear the gospel. But if I made it my goal this year to disciple one person that had never heard the gospel, and they came to Christ, and then next year we each took a person and decided to share the gospel with them, and so forth and so forth. So the second year there would be four, because I would be mentoring someone, and they would be mentoring them. Then the next year, it would double, and it would continue to do that. It would only take 32 years for every single person to hear the gospel message, starting with one person discipling a person for a year. And this is why discipleship is so important, because discipleship is a call to a life, a discipline, and a call to the life of sharing who Christ is. We don't have to share with the masses we're called to just share with the people in our life and those around us and to create every moment to be a gospel opportunity. I'm going to invite the band up as we finish real quick. Um, so just some practical things as we do this. As we talk about God being a missional God and a God that desires our heart and is constantly going after us, what do we do? The first thing that we talked about is our desire is to live a life saturated in prayer. That first we're called to just be in the presence of Christ. Um, that we're not sent first, we're first called to be. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Christ first wants you to know that you are loved by him before you're sent to ever say anything. So first we're called to live a life saturated in prayer. Second, we're to recognize every moment as a gospel moment. You have the power to share Jesus Christ every single day with people around you. And it is a mindset that we are called to, that every moment is a moment that we can further the gospel and bring people to Jesus. That is so powerful. Christ instills and entrusts us with the ability to bring people. You have the power to bring life and death with your words and either point people to the life or allow them to continue chasing after something that will just lead to death. And lastly, which I feel like is the most important thing we can walk away realizing, is you are needed and desired in the story and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called, whether you've disqualified yourself or not wanted to live in the calling, you are called to further the gospel of Christ and live in your true identity as a son and daughter of Christ. The urgency of the gospel is supposed to propel us forward so that we once again can be reunited with our Savior and not separate. I know in my own life, there's a whole list of people that it just breaks my heart to think you will not be with Jesus, that you're not walking with Jesus. And more than anything at the end of times, I want to be able to look those people in the eyes and just see them say that I found him. I found life. I found true love and I'm able to live in that. And I want to challenge you guys to think of those in your life that you love and that are far from Jesus or are not living in their true identity as a child of God. And how can you share the gospel with them? 
whether it's through the love, whether it's through actions, whether it's just being present, or whether it's sharing the Aspel gospel message with you, how can you live out as a daughter and son of Christ and share the gospel with those that are so desperately searching for the gospel of Christ? They don't know they're searching, but they are searching for the gospel of Christ. And it is our job as Christians to point them towards that. So what is your part in the urgency of Christ and the urgency of the gospel message? How can you share the gospel message with those around you? We're gonna enter in time of worship and I want you guys to walk in just thinking about that. What is my part in this? So Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you that you are a God of mission, that you are a God of love, that no one's too far lost for you that you qualify us all, that we are part of your story. We are part of your plan. And Lord, I pray that you would just reveal to everyone here, Lord, how they can be a part of your story, Lord. I ask that you would just show us your heart, Jesus, for those in our lives that are far from you and that you are going after God. You are a missional God, Lord, that continues to seek after every person, that you never stop seeking after it, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We live for the day that everyone declares that you are Christ. Amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.